0: Hi, this is Ruth. And this is Tina. And this is Talking, Talking smash, smash, the podcast where we wear scarves and talk about smash. Yes, and here we are back from a four-month hiatus. You know, we lived on... A bit of a high point with yeah. the understudy. I mean, that had the Daryl Zanuck number, my favorite number to date. It's fantastic. It had Randy Cobra. Yes! <laughs> there were tons of lingerie. There were those high school kids doing musical theater. And, you know, Dev and Derek hit each other. So <laughs> I, there was something for everyone. Now here we are to talk about... Oh! Should we, you know, talk about our scarves or lack thereof? Um
1: in lieu of a scarf, I'm wearing cystic acne.
0: <laughs> and I'm just wearing, yeah, nothing in lieu of a scarf. Not even a statement necklace, but I do have a scarf set aside for next time. <gasps> Woohoo! And at that point, we will have completely depleted my scarf wardrobe. But that's okay. We can we can recycle some of them. <laughs>
1: All right, so we are doing episode 111, The Movie Star. And this originally aired on April 16th, 2012. The NBC.com synopsis is, Bombshell is turned upside down by the arrival of movie star Rebecca Duval, And it was directed by Trisha Brock, who has directed... Uh, all of your favorite TV shows: Grey's Anatomy, Veronica Mars, Gossip Girl, Thirty Rock, Walking Dead, Breaking Bad, Mr. Robot, and it was written by your pals and ours, Julie Rottenberg and Alyssa
0: Zeritsky. Yeah, and I always think of the Gilligan's Island theme song whenever anyone says the title of this episode. <laughs> so yeah, it's hard not to. Yes, yeah. So Tina, what was your episode scarf count? Ooh, my episode scarf count was lucky thirteen. Oh, I only had eleven. Wait, no, no, I had twelve. I had twelve. Okay. All right. So let's do
1: this breakdown. Okay. Um, I counted one on Randall. Yes, Randall had the olive green knit mm-hmm. scarf. I counted one on Rebecca Duval's other assistant.
0: I also, and yes! I called her
1: other assistant. <laughs>
0: Um, I counted two for Tom. Yes, yes. Tom had his brown and orange scarf, mm-hmm. and then he had the gray one with the white diamond pattern when mm-hmm. he, uh, and uh, what's his name, were walking down the street. Mm-hmm. Tony Award winner, Leslie Odom Jr. Sam. 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 Yeah. That's his
1: name. Um, for Rebecca, I counted four. The, the skinny pink... Yes. The, I got the skinny pink scarf slash... The short scarf/ white one and- in, in rehearsal, like when she was
0: yes. practicing
1: deep, yes. dig, dig deep. The eggplant one that was sort of attached to her shirt, but it was... I didn't count that. Okay. that was a That was a bow blouse, so... Okay, all right, fair enough. We don't have to count it. <laughs> um, and then in the movie she was wearing... Yes. Um, yeah, okay, great, all right. So then... So that would bring
0: me down to twelve. Um, so then I think we match. I had Karen with her black and brown scarf, with which we've seen before. I think we see that on her when she's on the street talking to Dev on his cell phone or something. Oh, hmm. I wonder. I I I, I have one down as like brown
1: velvet. But I don't know if that's the same How many did you have for Karen total?
0: Um, I do them chronologically, not by character. So let me see. So that was, I think, flipping the pages. That was my only Karen for the week. All right. I had two Karen
1: scarves. Oh. So there was one that I wrote down as brown velvet and then black fringe later when uh, when they go out for the movie,
0: okay. Unless you know, okay. So I think one of the Karen scarves we saw was the same scarf. Okay, but, and then yeah. yeah. All I have right, one for Derek. Oh, Derek's gray silk makes yep. another appearance. Yes, Eileen, her
1: skinny pale gray. Yes, at yes. the very end. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. And then, um, and then I just there was a very chunky white prominent scarf that just caught my eye. Uh, uh, an errant background actor okay
0: oh so i got so i got one on jessica she is wearing a pink scarf at the at the film screening okay i have a lot of jessica notes this week well not a ton
1: yeah i have a jessica thought as well yeah okay so i think that yeah that brings us up then to a
0: grand total of 13 yes yes all right 13 scarves oh what a rollicking week it is in smash world Mm -hmm. all right so let's jump in we start in our favorite place, which is the rehearsal room, we we come in, we 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 track in on a very fancy bag. Whose bag is that? It's Karen's bag that she bought with her commercial money. <laughs> so we follow her and her bag into the rehearsal room, and there's Bobby and Jessica stretching away. I love when they have the bar in the middle of the rehearsal room <laughs> for them to stretch on. Yes. Um, and my my first note here is Jessica's bod exclamation point. She is wearing uh, a, what would you call this color? Tangerine? Melon? Hmm. I don't know. I was so distracted by
1: Wesley Taylor as Bobby (laughs) being funny and just, you know. So, no, I
0: just didn't catch this. Okay, I'm surprised. She is wearing this salmon-colored, sleeveless, turtleneck crop top. Oh. And... That is a very difficult garment for anyone to pull yeah. off, but she does it. And then later on in the episode, in, like, the next rehearsal scene, the next day, they have her again in, like, this these super skimpy short shorts, and it's, I think they just kind of, like, made a, an executive decision of, like, we just have, this girl's body is incredible mm-hmm. and the world should know it. So, <laughs> but it's kind of like and 30 Rock, where they would just have her, like, be wandering yes. by wearing a child's, you know, T-shirt <laughs> and... So that was the first thing I noticed. I noticed Karen's leather jacket, mm.
1: which is incredible. It has this amazing um, cutout in the bottom, um, in the back. So it it's like an inverted V, and it's yeah, it just it's it's uh, it doesn't like it doesn't it's not cut like a normal jacket.
0: It's, okay. I did not notice that, but I bet you she she bought it in her hyper-consumerist week when probably <laughs> when the ensemble kids were taking her under their wing. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> um, so then what happens is, like, rehearsal hasn't started yet. Everyone's kind of getting ready and settling in, and the camera kind of drifts from conversation to conversation. Mm-hmm. So we go from... Bobby and Jessica and Karen talking at the bar to, uh, you know, then we're following Sam and uh, Tom, who are having a flirtatious little conversation that's also giving us some exposition about Rebecca Duval, the movie star who everyone's waiting for. And, you know, T- Sam is making the point of, like, uh, isn't she too old for this? Because, wait a minute, Marilyn Monroe was 36 when she died. How old is Rebecca? And Tom says, 36-ish and it's fun yeah and then, um, and then tom puts on a black scent and oh yeah a, oh
1: no girlfriend type thing and yes it's and
0: then awkward and awful both julia and sam look at him like never do that again <laughs> that was the worst it's horrible yes but i like that he tried it and it, you know it landed like a lead balloon mm-hmm. and that's the way it should that's the way it should land so then sam and Tom are still flirting away, and Julia just cannot stand it a second longer, Mm -hmm. and calls and makes a reservation for them to have dinner tomorrow night, and says, like, fine, you know, like, just go on a date already, get it over with, and that was all, also delightful. Then, finally... Oh, I also like we see uh, we see a dancer extra with a foam roller, which I thought was a nice little touch <laughs> of uh very I wonder if similitude. it was the
1: same extra with the same foam roller in a previous episode. Because <gasps> wow. you've noted that before.
0: Oh, my God. I completely forgot that I've mentioned this before. But I guess I really have a, an eye for foam rollers <laughs> because my chiropractor really wants me to use one. <laughs> and I'm like, but it hurts oh, to do no. that. But, no, I've gotten to the point where... Yeah, I'm Aww. I'm going to do it. But yeah, um so then we we're at the elevator and it's Rebecca Duval after episodes of build up she's finally here and you know, we saw last week it was Uma Thurman last week last episode it was Uma Thurman and it's still Uma Thurman. <laughs> they didn't do a <laughs> switcheroo on us. She comes into the ro- she sweeps Weeps, into the room. Yes and with her with Randall her redheaded assistant and her other assistant who I don't think ever gets a name and is like hey everybody i'm here and she does this really great move of taking off she's wearing first of all she's wearing a, a belted red trench coat that mm-hmm. looks terrific and she does a very movie star job of like taking it off and just casually flinging it in some direction mm-hmm. and Derek is like oh welcome rebecca yada yada would you like to warm up first before we begin and she's like nope i'm ready to go yes <laughs> and all the and like the ensemble is they're so excited they all they're all like oh Everyone's santa like, oh, claus is gonna read us a story yes everyone is so excited mm-hmm. they haven't been this excited since bernadette peters came into yes, the room
1: and, and they, they're having the very same reaction they're expecting
0: to just be wowed by a diva yes you know yes and so then uh, Rebecca, you know, goes <laughs> over th- to the piano and she she starts to sing a song that we've already heard, Let Me Be Your Star, and it is wonderful chef kiss, in, but not in the way you would want if you were the one paying for this musical, because... She's singing the notes, but she's kind of flat, and she's kind of strident, and she's you know kind of schmacking, yeah, and
1: <laughs> and it's 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 just a bad impersonation of Marilyn Monroe,
0: mm-hmm. too. It's oh not, yeah, she's yeah. doing the breathy thing. It's
1: yeah. fading. On a girl.
0: Yes. <laughs> and she's talk singing. <laughs> oh yeah. And so while she is singing, we just we just go around the room and see everyone's different reactions mm-hmm. and it is glorious <laughs> because, you know, Tom and Julia have their have their dear God smiles in place, the same smiles they had in place when Ivy's voice stopped working mm-hmm. way back a million episodes ago, where they're like, No, this is this is fine. This is this is great. Uh <laughs> I'm sure Bobby has a great reaction. All, all the ensemble kids get, get a little moment of, like, "Who, boy. <laughs> um, cut to Eileen's office. Well, if you don't mind, before mm-hmm.
1: we get there, my I remember watching this live back in the day, back in 2012. And I remember going, why is Uma Thurman on this show? Because Uma Thurman was... You know, she was super A-list movie star. You know, this was just a few, this wasn't that long after Kill Bill 2 had come out. I mean, she was like, I mean, people, a lot, you know, some people thought she was going to get an Oscar nomination for that. And, you know, so she was still in my my heart and mind, super A-list movie star Uma Thurman. It seemed very strange for her to be, Showing up on this TV show when it's because it's not like she was coming on to show off uh, her actual like great singing voice or something like that. But
0: so I, I, you know, I I have to give her such huge props. Oh no, I know, I know, She's I know terrific. that's not what you're saying. Yeah, but like, I just love someone committing to being bad in such in such a grand on such a grand scale. Yeah,
1: you know, Uma thurman spent been um, about a year, kind of. Intimating it might not have been a year, it might have been like two months, but everything feels so long in this day and age um, that she had something really big she wanted to say about Harvey Weinstein. And, you know, she did this sit down with Maureen Dowd in the New York Times, and this just heartbreaking interview came out of it where she reveals that, you know, after... Uh, after she made Quentin aware of, you know, Harvey's repeated sexual harassment, which ultimately ended in sexual assault, um, Quentin Tarantino like, decided to teach her a lesson by putting her in an unsafe car while filming Kill Bill. And she, he did it without the stunt coordinator being there. And he knew the stunt coordinator, the stunt coordinator wasn't even scheduled to be on set that day. And she got so hurt. She has, she lives with chronic pain to this day because of it. And I remember reading that article and going, holy shit. That's why she wasn't being like movie star queen doing other, Iconic action movies. She couldn't. She her body
0: was. That's why she wasn't up. self-producing Atomic Blonde. Yeah, or,
1: I. You know, yeah. it's like all of a sudden because you know, not. I mean, I love Charlize Theron. But oh, it's yeah. like there, there's. You know, Uma Thurman also could have been doing some of those parts, probably, and and other things, and and it was because she was attacked. She was a good friend and uh, collaborator of hers tried to kill her. And it was honestly, that article is one of the most disturbing things like I've ever read in my entire life. Um, But it, you know, this whole thing with Uma and just even thinking about this for today, I stumbled upon... um, a a really interesting Toronto Burke quote. So so Toronto Burke said, what I realized in the last year is that people are okay when you're talking about the big, scary, bad guy. But when we start talking about the good guy, who's an ally to women, who looks out for everybody, who's a stand-up person, but maybe behaves in a way that is too permissive, then it's a problem. The reality is if we want to really look toward ending sexual violence, we have to examine all of our behavior. Um, and in other parts of this, uh, article, she also talks about, we have to make sure we're listening to black women and indigenous women and other women of color. And I think that's a good thing to remember because it's always easy to remember about the white movie stars and not everybody else.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I remember some of the press from Kill Bill and like Quentin Tarantino, like One of the planks of their platform for the press of Kill Bill was Quentin Tarantino and Uma Thurman are best friends. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading, you know, a a big article in the paper, Entertainment Mm -hmm. Weekly, (laughs) Um, which is not weekly anymore. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's monthly or something. Yeah, sidebar. Um, but, the look on my face just now. <laughs> but basically saying, like, oh, yeah, Quentin's saying, yeah, Uma and I are best friends. Like, I hang out with her kids all the time because if you're best friends with Uma, you know, that means, like, you you know, you you spend time with her kids. And for the fact that, you know, I don't know if I want to say he tried to kill her because I didn't read the article or, or whatever, but um, the fact that he did not prioritize her safety either on his film set or... You know, or when it came to, you know, his relationship with Harvey Weinstein versus prioritizing his friend, you know, that's, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. But fortunately, he's not going to make any more movies. So, didn't he say, like, you know, I'm only going to make 10 movies because that's that's what a great artist does. 10 is the number. That's
1: also a really great way to get a Best Director nomination.
0: Uh, Yeah, that's some next level Oscar strategy there.
1: Wait. The Entertainment Weekly thing is uh, upsetting because also uh, somebody who we absolutely uh, love on on the show, Clarkisha Kent, who uh, created the, the, the Kent Test, uh, she's just started writing for Entertainment Weekly. So yay, Clarkisha! I'm really really proud of you. That's awesome. Um, you're great. And so I and I, more of her stuff
0: will be online and, and I less get, in print. Yeah.
1: So I, I I mean I haven't read Entertainment Week Entertainment Weekly in paper copy in a long time well it's one
0: of those things where like the month of August went by and I'm like huh I don't think I got any entertainment plates <laughs> in a couple of weeks oh. and then I was like oh it's not weekly anymore oh. well thank you for being the person who still pays for the physical copies <laughs> it's just because part of the reason is I spend so much of my life looking at screens it's yes. very nice to have something fun to read that is not a screen mm-hmm. so
1: that's really I, the I want everything why. to be
0: on a screen <laughs> Just like smashes. Yes.
1: Okay. So we we go. We now we we go into Eileen's office. Yes. And they're all trying to figure out like who. Where did? Yes. They said she
0: could sing. I love this scene. I love I love when the the gang of four is together Mm -hmm. and in problem solving slash crisis mode. But yes, they're all going around the room and it's very you know it's got some great comedic timing into it in in terms of who said she could sing. I thought you said she could sing. Eileen, you know Eileen fesses up, and she's like, "I think I said she could sing. Mm -hmm. I think I saw her in Saturday Night Live singing." And (laughs) that that immediately (laughs) reminded me of of Tina Fey's whole
1: thing about Katie Holmes not being able to
0: tap dance. Yes,
1: I am a little obsessed with the that whole year of. Tom Cruise and Kitty Holmes trying to convince people that Katie Holmes was, like, a really amazing dancer. Because I think they were trying... Were they both trying to do that? I feel like he was part of it. I'm going to... I like blaming him for things.
0: I mean, again, time has lost all meaning, but, like, that... What didn't happen to be 2012, did it? That was... That was... I don't don't remember.
1: Because I remember when she also tried it on So You Think You Can Dance...
0: Oh my gosh! Oh dear!
1: Yeah, no. And what I think was happening, if I remember the rumors correctly, is that she, real, she really wanted a shot at playing Judy Garland.
0: Well, that ship has sailed. Yeah, it sure has. Yeah, that's a movie I I haven't seen. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, is it officially out yet? I thought we. Oh, okay. No, yeah, because it's playing downtown in in my town. Okay. Yes. Renee Zellweger gets there again. Yay! <laughs> so anyway, so the the four of them are are trying to solve this enormous problem that they that they now have in terms of they've got a star, but she she can't be in a musical. <laughs> no. And Derek is like, all right, we'll take the shadow selves and we'll give them some of the songs and and we'll you know, we'll do this and that to like, you know, distract from the singing mm-hmm. and et cetera, et cetera. Which is
1: may I say, not a bad idea as a director.
0: <laughs> well, I think it. You know what? What I thought they were doing when I was watching this, I was like, "Oh my god, they're building a camel!" And this is this is that's a Parks and Rec deep cut. Oh, okay. But it's also a term outside of Parks and Rec. There's actually someone who said it, but I don't know. I forget his name. He was British, I think. But a camel is a horse built by committee. (laughs) So this is what they're starting to do. They're starting to take their their beautiful little jewel of a show that they've made and and they're starting to, like, make all these compromises to try to, like, you know, pound it into a shape that will make it to Broadway. (laughs) Um, And, yes, compromise has to happen on every... um, Production, but yeah. yeah, I I was like, oh, oh, they're starting to build a camel. Oh, that's a great observation. Yeah. and so anyway, so that's the plan that they agree to. But then Julia and Tom are uh, in the lobby, walking out of the building, and they're you know they're having like. You know, kind of like this, this little whisper freak out together, or at least Julia is having a freak out in terms of, those shadow cells weren't supposed to be singing, you know, we're supposed to have songs, they're supposed to be the voices inside Marilyn's head, they're supposed to be whispers. <laughs> and I love that she's whispering, you know, she's angry whispering, <laughs> the word whispers, and I love that. And Tom would be freaking out along with her, but he's just too chill and happy because of his chorus crush, Yay. Sam. But then we are back in the rehearsal room, and, you know, this is where we have Jessica and her short shorts, and now, da-da-da! Oh, Ivy's back! Yay! Because that was one of Derek's other solutions, was is, well, yeah. to bring Ivy back as one of the sadder selves, so that they have, like, a backup on hand yeah, in case things go yeah really awry. Because they note that
1: the Cartwright girl
0: <laughs> is still too green! <laughs> oh, we should drink every time Derek says oh, the Cartwright that's a great girl. Oh, great idea. So now we have Tom at the piano, and he's teaching Rebecca Mm -hmm. a new song, and she is singing along with him, and maybe there's some faces being exchanged among the ensemble still, but Ivy goes up to Karen and sits next to her and says something snarky about Rebecca. I forget what exactly. Oh, Um, she's like,
1: that's... Do you hear that? That's the sound of a thousand ticket holders asking for their money
0: back. Yes, that was it. And it's great. And I love Ivy Snark. And I also love her approaching Karen and them kind of having this recognition of like, oh, boy, we are in the same foxhole together now. Yeah. In terms of we are now not in a project that is uh, marked for success oh yeah i also found that uh jessica it, it was a little
1: two-faced in this uh in this scene as well she's like very like i'm karen's friend not ivy's friend now because she oh does she express surprise about them bringing ivy yeah, back yeah she's like oh you know like ooh, what's she doing here and i don't know there was just something about it where i was like oh you know can't she be s- supportive of ivy returning while also offering like a well let me ask (sighs) you this when has ivy ever been supportive of jessica that's a good point yeah and and also too we've all done shows and it's weird because in shows your co-workers are your temporary
0: friends and that's not it's also weird when your co-workers is (laughs) sleeping with the boss yes that's That is different because we do have a shot of you know Derek at the piano Mm -hmm. talking to the piano person, and he Ivy comes up next to him and he puts Mm -hmm. his arm around her in a non collegial, yes, more intimate way, lover like way.
1: Oh, I remember the line that uh, turned me off. She goes, she goes, she goes, look at who she's sleeping with, and I I just thought that was
0: a little too. Oh, when someone's like, oh, why is she back? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, know, um, just. Yes. So so we have this rehearsal for Rebecca to sing. And um, then at the end of, uh, uh, of that, this rehearsal, or Derek calls Karen over and he has another one of his Marilyn strokes, <laughs> just like he had the week before where he's looking at her and suddenly she becomes Marilyn and she's wearing this. Purple, like pencil skirted dress for some reason, and she's got the Marilyn wig on. And all of a sudden, Mara Karen is singing to him, Our Day Will Come. I don't know what the significance is of picking this song because I don't know that Marilyn Monroe ever sung it. I did look it up at some point, and it's from like 1962, so it's like period appropriate, but it's not like a my theory that uh I've just come up with right now. Is that they couldn't, or they didn't want to spend the money to get like any m- song that Marilyn is actually associated with? Oh. So this was like their bargain basement alternative. Sure. Okay. Okay. I yeah. can rock with that.
1: I I hated Our Day Will Come. I still think the show is pushing a Derek love triangle that is not there because Karen is not interested in him. Mm-hmm. Um, Him imagining her as Marilyn is fine. I have no problem with that. It's this like heavily romantic song you know our day will come we'll be this we're gonna go yeah you know I mean yeah. you could argue that she what the what you're supposed to take from it is like no our day is me as your Marilyn
0: yeah will come. well I just I just hated this because I felt it was really out of place in the episode kind of like in the last episode where Ivy was singing that Kelly Clarkson song in the middle of it oh. and having a fantasy sequence for mm-hmm.
1: oh yes yes reasons yeah when she was like sad and looking
0: at her friends yes Yeah. So and also, like, I agree, like, I think last last episode when we saw Derek have his Marilyn stroke, I did feel it was it was his artistic imagination Mm -hmm. being like, oh, my God, this is who I see as Marilyn. This is the Marilyn that I see. And this time around, I felt like, oh, this is his sexual fantasy. This is not about this is not about work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Last time I felt it was about work. This time, not so much. I would be happy to, you know, cut the two minutes or however long this was. It felt very long. But then it's broken up by uh, stage manager, Linda's voice, breaking through the fantasy <laughs> saying, and that's lunch. And I enjoyed that. So, yes, yeah, so now it's lunchtime and we cut to Dev, who we never need to see. But Dev is sitting on a sad park bench, having a sad lunch, surrounded by thousands of pigeons. <laughs> And Karen calls him on his cell phone to say hi uh, because she's on her lunch break as well. Yeah. And to ask if he's heard about that uh, press secretary job yet because he still hasn't told her, even after all the stuff that happened last week, he still Mm -hmm. hasn't told her he didn't get the job. And then we cut to Julia sitting alone in a restaurant waiting for someone to arrive. And this time... Because she was doing that last episode, but this time someone actually does arrive. And it's Frank, and he's mad, and he's mean. Oh, because I think I forgot. At some point in the rehears- one of the rehearsal room scenes, Julia got a phone call from Leo's school. Because Leo's having problems in school. He is. Yeah. So Julia has arranged this lunch with Frank to talk about Leo's problems and to tell him that they have an appointment with Leo's guidance counselor and Frank is just kind of being a dick through it. Though, I mean, it, it, it is a tough thing to swallow that your spouse had an affair not once but twice yeah. with the same person. That's a, that's a pretty big pill to swallow. Yeah. But, yeah, he's being he, – he, the thing is, is, like, he's just being so petulant and angry. Yeah. And I, felt, I feel like we could see some hurt behind it, but it's – we don't – don't, don't, I don't get a sense of any hurt. I just get a sense of anger because like in Gilmore girls when Emily and Lorelai fight I I love when they fight like mm-hmm. but like you feel like there's always so much hurt behind mm-hmm. it that you know they each have this like huge well of stuff mm-hmm. that can never be like fixed and bandaged over with each other but I just felt like you know this was very one note Yeah it yes it, it it was all anger
1: and I, I found it believable because they, one, Julia is, Julia isn't going to argue back. She's taking, you know, she is. She's, she's taking, taking all the punches, All the yeah. responsibility. Yeah. And she's not, this it, she's not trying to get him back, you know, she's, this is literally just about Leo and... I don't know. So maybe, maybe he, I almost got that he's, 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 he's pushing at her and pushing at her and pushing at her. And he, and he just, he just wants her to push back. And then he's, he's trying to hurt her, you know? Yeah. And so because she just takes it because it she's wrong, yeah. you know, <laughs> Um. I did, I, you know, at the first time I watched it, I was kind of like, oh, he's such a jerk, but, Watching it, I, re- I watched that scene two times and in the last 24 hours, and I saw something different. The question I have is, why doesn't Frank have custody of Leo.
0: Well, that's, th- those were some of the, this isn't realistic questions that were all like going on in my head too, in terms of like, why is Julia the one they're calling and not Frank since he is like the stay at home parent. Yes. Um, he would
1: be first on the call list Yes. Anyway. Why
0: didn't Frank kick Julia out of the house and stay there with Leo instead of going off to like wherever he's gone off to? Um, yeah, I guess cause you know, they made that great set and they wanted to use it, which. Okay. A lot of stuff about this Julia Frank storyline this week, I feel, doesn't make a ton of sense. Yes. Yeah. So then we are back in the rehearsal room, and uh, (laughs) um, Rebecca approaches Derek uh, after most of the other people have left for the day because she has some suggestions, (laughs) Uh, she has some notes. And one of her suggestions is, like, you know, the actor studio. That was a big thing for Marilyn. Why don't we see the actor studio? <laughs> she says, like, these scenes are all too short. You know, I think, like, we, we should have a little more scenes, though, a little less singing and dancing. And Tom, you know, Tom has come back to get his cell phone or something, and he hears a lot of this and is not thrilled with it. Rebecca does uh, this thing that I think is a... Is a really classic move of a lot of charming people, and I imagine a lot of like movie star people, in terms of you get away with being a dick by acknowledging that you're being a dick. Mm-hmm. In terms of, like, I know I'm just being super unreasonable here, but I just have this quirk that I have to say everything I think, or <laughs> you know, and yeah so I think she she does that very well in terms of she she says to Derek, I'm just driving you crazy, aren't i it It really works. it does mm-hmm. like I've experienced it work on me, you know, and where I'm just like, i <laughs> I know you're manipulating me, but it's still working. <laughs> so then we move to Tom and Sam. They're out on their date, finally, after all these weeks of flirting and after dispatching lawyer John. Tom and Sam are out on a date and they're walking down the street. <laughs> <laughs> Tom is being a, a bad boyfriend already. <laughs> yes he is. Uh because he he's so kind of like just uh irate about what he heard Rebecca say and he's like I'm just too upset to eat. Sam is like rolling with that I'm like yeah. all right
1: it's okay you know we don't we don't yeah. you know I'm not that hungry.
0: And then you know Tom says in a suggestive way What do you want to do instead? Cut to Tom's apartment and they're on the couch. And then this is adorable. They are sharing their favorite Sondheim musicals, but they never say the word Sondheim. (laughs) You know, they just, Sam says, into the woods. And Tom says, the frogs. And he goes, what can I say? I'm weird. <laughs> and that was an adorable moment. It's very cute. And I love that they didn't have, like, the obligatory expository line saying, by that, of course we mean we're talking about Sondheim mm-hmm. musicals. So I like that the show was, the show considered us smart enough to to either get the reference or to roll with it, even if we didn't understand the yeah. reference.
1: So- I love the camera work in this scene. Um just the way the camera, like, goes in on uh, Tom putting his hand on Sam's hand when Sam goes to, like, take another sip of his drink, and it's just, I like it. Yeah, just,
0: well, there was, I liked it for the most part, but there, there's a, one moment where there was a shot of, like, Tom's hand on Sam's knee and Sam's hand on Tom's knee, and that shot seemed to last for, like, 30 seconds, whereas, like, <laughs> That's weird, but, you know, and Tom kind of lunges in to go for the kiss, and I was like, oh, wow, Tom's a top, and, <laughs> but then Sam uh, backs away and reveals, dum-dum-dum, dum, he's a Christian. The the line he has is that, you know, for him, he considers sex to be holy, but th- that's, a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty nerdy line to have to say, but, you yeah. know. Yeah.
1: And he does it
0: somehow. He, d- he, he pulls he, it he off. totally delivers the
1: line. Yeah. and Like, he delivered it in a line in a way where I was like, oh, yeah, no, I understand what you're talking about, when in reality, that I, I didn't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it'd be one thing if, like, you said, like, you know, I consider sex meaningful mm-hmm. or that, you know, whatever, I have to have a relationship or something like that. Yeah. But that was, they are really just cutting, like, right to the chase in terms of sex is holy. And, like, so. and also, I just, like, I couldn't go, I couldn't help but going, like, <laughs> Holy! (laughs) Um, So then they have some banter where uh, Tom's like, well, you're not a Republican, too, are you? Because I just dated one of those. You know, Sam asks Tom, well, how long has your longest relationship ever been? And Tom says five months. And Sam completely reads Tom in terms of like, oh, you're that guy. If I may correct you, Tom says.
1: Five. And Sam asks, years? Tom admits, months.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Sam asks, like, you know, how old are you? And (laughs) Tom says, 37-ish. And I like that that was a callback to their flirting from a few days ago in the rehearsal room. Sam is like... I, I forget the lines leading up to it but um he ends with as he's getting on his coat saying basically trust me my way is better and that line that was a sexy that line. was a sexy line i so. also liked his line
1: about uh that republicans don't own god and he's right
0: mm-hmm. that's it and tom says don't they <laughs> <laughs> which was also very funny yeah, so i Yes, so I'm enjoying all of the Sam and Tom this week. I'm mm-hmm. enjoying the banter, the flirtation, the learning more about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're both doing a tremendous job in building that relationship. I
1: also got a strong sense in that scene that Sam was asking certain questions to make sure that Tom wasn't violating any of like his deal-breakers, because there was a, a split moment there where I, I, if Tom had been like, "Oh, there's no way I'm going to a Knicks game," like I think Sam would have been like, "You know, you don't, you're not showing any interest mm-hmm. in like getting to know me or like outside of the fact that we are, are in rehearsal together yes. for, like twelve hours a day." <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, but so that scene, you know, there was no consummation, but it left us hungry for more. Yes, and... which was a theme this this episode.
1: Later, when, like, Nick and Eileen... Yes, it is a theme, I was thinking. Yes. It was like, there's, like, yeah, sexy, sexy, grown-up relationship flirting.
0: Yes. In this... Episode. There's a lot of like mature relationship stuff happening mm-hmm. this week, not from Dev. <laughs> <laughs> but next, to move on to one of our mature relationships, yes, we go to we cut to Eileen's office. It's late at night, while Tom and Sam are off having their great date. She's still in the office working away, checking her voicemail. Yes, and she has a voicemail from Nick, it's basically saying like, "Hey, I haven't heard from you, and I just call in to say hey." She wants to call him back, but she has her doubts, and so this leads her to go to the out outside office to Ellis's desk to find the dossier that Ellis had presented her last week. And all of a sudden, Ellis appears because so. yes. because that's 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 how that works with Ellis. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you do something sneaky, and Ellis yeah. appears. Um, and he's like, "Hey, what you need at my desk?" And she's like, "Oh, I was just looking for the." The Farfnagel file. Um, yeah, I'm always surprised we didn't see him, like, kind of lurking after her after he- pretending to leave, but... Meanwhile, like, all of his files are her files, you know? <laughs> like, they, he, uh, yes. yes. Oh, and then Ellis... But he has that effect on people, where he yes. makes them
1: feel like they've done something wrong. Yes, he puts people on the
0: defensive. Yes. And Ellis also has some complaints he wants to share with Eileen. Oh, Yeah. So he's running errands yes, for Rebecca. That Rebecca's assistants are using him as their assistant mm-hmm. to run errands on behalf of Rebecca, and he doesn't like it. Oh. He gets advice from Eileen that you mm-hmm. know, you know, not. It,
1: she reminds him that he's already learned the lesson about proximity to power, but part of that also is cozying up to people's assistants as well because they're often the gatekeepers.
0: Yes, you know. Which was a really yes. good advice. But yeah, and he, he recite before, before Eileen gives her very cogent advice, he, he recites a list of some of Rebecca's demands that uh, her assistants have emailed him. And they include a blender for her kale and flaxseed smoothies. And um, just make a note of that. You know, <laughs> put because, a pin in that. Yeah, put a pin in that. So Ellis leaves And, oh, one thing I noticed... Oh, and she's also allergic to peanuts. Yes. Make a note of that as well. (laughs) Um, So, and one thing I noticed, like, so Ellis is standing in front of, like, you know, one of the posters in Eileen's office. And it was, uh, the poster was titled One Last Wish. And it was a show by Houston and Levitt. So, that was nice. So, anyway, then Eileen finally opens the file. And it's all these newspaper articles and she's just like, Huh, another crook. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. And now it's the next day, and we're at the counselor's office with, with Julia and Frank. And I believe this office is just Eileen's office redress, but <laughs> I noticed, like, it had a gorgeous hardwood floor in it. And the guidance counselor is asking,
1: like, standard teacher type questions of you know wow such a change is there anything going on at home and julia starts to actually answer the question and then frank jumps in with everything is fine nothing is wrong and julia just says stop lying and then she explains that they're living apart, but she
0: also tells the guidance counselor, like, every sordid of detail <laughs> of, of what has Leo happened. found out. Actually, before Frank found out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then eventually Frank found out, and then things got even worse with Leo. <laughs> and the guidance counselor's
0: face is yeah. hilarious. But yes, that is a great re- reaction, and it's a great tragic comic moment that yes. Julia gives this. Yes. That.
1: It's a little bit uh, on, a, on a very, very small level, uh, a bit of what makes uh, Julia's style so delightful in Hustlers, because she has all those great reaction
0: shots. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then we are back in our favorite place, the rehearsal room. Yay. And we are doing an, a scene at the actor's studio that Tom and Julia have, well, that Julia has written. And that leads into a song that Tom has written, Tom and Julia have written. So we have someone playing Lee Strasberg and he pulls uh, Rebecca as Marilyn down from the risers and is like, why do you want to be here? You know, what are you doing here? You know, the music is building and this is the point where she's supposed to open her mouth and sing. And instead, uh, she just like breaks out of it and is like. And she's like, oh, God. And it's like, I, we're just getting into the scene, and now all of a sudden I'm supposed to break into song. <laughs> and this is where, like, in my, in my fantasy, the entire episode would have gone very differently from this point mm-hmm. forward, because basically she's like, oh, my God, like, it's so unrealistic that I would just break into song. And um, we're just getting into, like, the emotion of this. And, like, the whole point of musicals yeah. is that... You know the musicals do ha- the the songs do happen when you know the emotion has reached a certain height because you can't you just can't hold it anymore you ju- you have to break into song to to express what to is express happening what is happening. right now yes and
1: you know and ideally the songs propel the plot <laughs> yes <laughs> as well but from from even even before the songs propelled the plot the you know the whole point yes. was always that the the the, the, an- song is the where intensity you get to the
0: deeper truth. Yes, in it's where yes. you
1: know you say what you want, you know, one you know um over the song the rainbow. is where you say i love you it's, or that's yeah. you, you
0: state the thing you want more than anything in the world, you know. Yeah. So <sighs> um and this is and this is where like i you know I, you know at, at a macro level like to the show, you know, i kind of want to ask like what are you doing? Because if the show isn't did I read somewhere? I think I read somewhere that, you know, it's some quote from Teresa Rebeck at some point was, like, basically, like, that this was, you know, this was going to be, like, the West Wing for theater, mm-hmm. for musicals, or whatever. I could be just remembering that wrong in my head. But, like, assuming that's correct, like, this show should be, like, the full-throated defense of, like, musicals and yeah. why they're grand and great and swell and why we like them. And, you know, no one, no one at any point in this episode like says a peep in in, in defensive musicals. Yeah, I
1: found that so weird. This was this was the organic moment to teach her.
0: Yes. And in my fantasy, like, they would have taught her – they would have taught her by, like, Tom and Julia or someone, you know, kind of doing a scene together and then Julia starting to sing out of that. Like, picking a number from one of their existing shows Mm -hmm. and then Julia breaking into song and the song being about, like, you know, a woman who is heartbroken because she's made a terrible, terrible mistake in her life. And, you know, and then Rebecca gets to see, ah, I see, you know. But that doesn't happen. Yeah. So – so, anyway, they decide to just end rehearsal for the day or decide to stop there. Yeah. Um,
1: is that when we get the, 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 the interruption from the boyfriend, ex-boyfriend?
0: I'm working, Colin! <laughs> oh, yes! This is when, yeah, Rebecca... So, first, you know, so they're going to take a break or break for the day, whatever. Um, and Re- Rebecca first tells everyone, oh, don't forget, there's a screening for my, for my new movie tonight, Casual Fridays 2, <laughs> which is a great title. Um and uh, you're all invited. Just take a take a postcard at the door, and then Rebecca's douchebag boyfriend breaks into the room, and she says, "I'm working. Colin. I'm working." Call. I just love her line reading of that. Yes, and um, I love Derek goes to throw him out and kind of grabs him from behind, <laughs> and it's hilarious because this man is a giant. Yes! <laughs> And Derek looks like a teeny tiny pipsqueak behind him. But then Eileen steps forward and with a can of mace and says, you know, I suggest you leave my friend or I will temporarily blind you. Yes. So Eileen to the rescue. Not Derek. Eileen. I, in my
1: head, this actor is always um, Kyle McLaughlin, uh, even though Kyle McLaughlin is, is far too old and famous to
0: come and be this character. I looked up this, you know, actor. Uh, His name is Marcus Schenkenberg. Mm -hmm. And I believe he dated Pamela Anderson. And that is one of his main claims to fame. Oh, right. Yeah. But he's like some sort of Nordic model fellow. Oh, okay. Which, that tracks. Sure. Yeah. So... Now, you know, the next scene is we're in Eileen's office again, and the gang of four has, again, not had a great day. <laughs> and Rebecca, there there are two moments in this uh, episode that gave me big soap dish vibes. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them where, um, oh, because first Eileen, you know, they're all in the office, but Eileen is on the phone, basically putting out fires, you know, and saying to some, you know, someone, no, there was no dust up in rehearsal today. I don't know what you Talking about. Ha ha ha. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, they're like, and I forget Derek or Tom. One of them is like, oh, great. She's got relationship problems too, on top of everything else. And uh, Eileen says something like, Rebecca didn't, Duvall didn't get where she is by being simple or by having healthy relationships. <laughs> and it makes me think of uh, Frank Marshall in Soap Dish, where, um, where he's talking about Sally Field's character. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, and uh, Robert uh, Robert Downey Jr. is like, well, I don't think we can have her on the show anymore. She's unstable. And he's like, unstable. I'm stable. Who wants to watch me on television? Unstable is her talent. Unstable <laughs> is her gift. You know, um, <laughs> it makes me sad because I haven't watched Subdition in a long time. And I love it so much. But there's parts of it that are very problematic by yeah, today's standards. Yeah, it is horribly, horribly transphobic
1: yes and it just it's utterly
0: that's kind of the mickey rooney it is it's the mickey rooney at breakfast at tiffany's yeah breakfast at tiffany's can
1: at this point really just needs to be relegated to like film studies and you know racism studies and stuff it's well i mean you can watch around a lot of the mickey rooney stuff i I mean it would be i'm not opposed to like Oh, we. I, I think we've had this conversation before. Like, I,
0: we've definitely we, talked about breakfast at <laughs> Tiffany's and Mickey Rooney <laughs> on this podcast. Like, before.
1: I'm, I am not opposed for something like Breakfast at Tiffany's for there to be, like, going forward, we, we are cutting out the racist part of this movie. It'd be pretty easy. It I would think. be so easy,
0: you know, because it's not like he's core to the the plot. He's yeah. just a yeah.
1: No, yeah, it's just a, like a celebrity cameo thing more than anything. It's horrible. Oh, yeah. It's, it's if, if anybody's so, not familiar with this, Mickey Rooney, um, Don's the most egregious yellow face in cinematic history. Yeah, uh, and to play a, a Japanese character, and it's really, really, really horrible and offensive. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's not the on, only actor to have ever done this. But the know, fact We could, that, we could like, do a top ten list,
0: but this is probably number one. It's not like, you know, because also it's like the fact that he's doing it, like, not at the height of World War II, which, like, not that it was right then, but, you know, certainly more in the cultural whatever, you know, mainstream. But the fact that he's... Well, and I've got to fault the director a ton for that, too. Oh, but, for sure. Oh, my God. Yeah. The fact that they're doing that in, like, the 60s is... A little baffling. Well, yeah. not really, I suppose, once you think about it. But it's <laughs> – you really – yeah. So – but Soap Dish, I, will, I guess I'll just have to watch – oh, there's so much of that movie that I love. But, yeah, that – that the transphobic part is a real big bummer. And it is central to the plot. It's – yeah, yeah. I mean, so, you
1: can't uh, – you would literally have to, like, get everybody together – and just reshoot an ending and like put it on there and be like listen obviously everyone is like 40 30 years older in in this scene you know but it's better than oh the character is trans and therefore and therefore evil <laughs> evil and needs to be banished from society
0: yeah so can I just do my favorite line? Yes, I won't you can get do your favorite line. He hasn't. He doesn't have a head. He has no <laughs> lips, no vocal cords. No. How am I supposed to write for a guy who doesn't have a head? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. I feel better now. Mm-hmm. I can't. I, I. I don't think I can physically say the title Soap Dish and not follow it up with that line at some point. It's like shaven haircut, two bits. It's- no, I listen. <laughs> it is
1: <sighs> it's, it's a stacked so cast. Many other ways. It's got great
0: lines. You know, plus it's stocked with like so many real life soap stars, like yeah. doing little soap star cameos in it. Yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. I mean, there's Carrie Fisher in it for God's sake. Yeah, I know, but it's just guys don't don't put major
1: bigotry into your movies. And I know, then your it just movies can such last a bummer later. Forever.
0: Yes. Oh, all right. So. um Now we move to the press secretary's office. Um, So, yes, we move down to City Hall. Karen is there to visit Dev, and uh, she knocks on the door of the press secretary's office, which is where we saw Dev last time. Mm -hmm. And guess who's there? It's that DC douchebag Mm -hmm. who sexted with the teenager. And... Karen is shocked because Dev never told her this, and she finds Dev in a little cubicle outside talking with his gal pal RJ. Um, and Who so then. Does not work there, <laughs> remember. <laughs> Who does not work there, correct. Who seems to have a lot of spare time for like a New York Times reporter. Yeah. She's not out getting many scoops this week. Or is she trying to <laughs> land a big one? <laughs> So then Dev and Karen go into the quote-unquote hallway to talk, mm-hmm. and apparently there is a giant library <laughs> in the middle of City Hall, because I think they're trying to hide the fact that it's a library, but it's a library. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in this courtyard, and we just see, like, floor upon floor. We're in this, like, open-plan courtyard, and we just see floor upon floor with, you know, shelves of books. I don't know what ha- what, what What went wrong that week in terms of locations, but, uh, yeah. So, and so Dev and Karen have a fight or confrontation. And Dev blames Karen for him not telling Karen, even though
1: she constantly asks him, hey, what's going on with this thing that's
0: super important to you? Yes, I hate Dove. Uh, I know, and he says something about like, well, we haven't actually, we haven't really been on the same page lately. And Karen says, how can we be on the same page when you won't tell me what page we're on? You're on, <laughs> which is very Karen and very true, though. Yeah, you know? yes. No, I'm very team Karen. I'm, I'm very, very team Karen yeah. as well, but she. Even despite all of this, she invites him to the screening of Rebecca's film because she's like, let's have a fun night together. Yeah, she's working on the relationship. She's she's trying so hard. She really is. And he is such a limp, whiny baby. Yeah. Then we are, we're back in Eileen's office, Mm -hmm. and this is adorable. Yes. Because she calls up Nick Mm -hmm. to explain to him that she can't call him um because she's Eileen and she doesn't know about ghosting <laughs> and also cuz she really secretly does want to call him so um so they decide to get together for a date to decide about to to talk about why they can't date and it's so cute and then Rebecca comes in wearing her her bow blouse which yes. is gorgeous <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's a great color it's eggplant yes. i would say yeah yeah she has seen the new pages that Julia's written, and she's like, "Oh, they're just so wonderful and Eileen's like, "Great, yay." and she's like, "But now I have some more suggestions or more requests or more yeah. something or other and and this and then and then uh
1: at this point i I just start hating her because she says for the second time let's just let's just get together and powwow <laughs> and yes, and I, I just I hated her a little the first time, and then I hated her more <laughs> the second time.
0: So um and I think we're supposed to be certainly annoyed with her for making our yeah. making our core gang jump through all these hoops. Mm-hmm. So but they agree that they will meet all four of them plus Rebecca later tonight because mm-hmm. she doesn't need to see the movie. She's seen it a million times already. Mm-hmm. Um so then we are in Tom's apartment where and the whole gang comes in. Uh Eileen, Julia, Derek, and they have lots of kvetching um, fun together, and that's nice. And Eileen basically says, "Like, well, when Rebecca gets here, I'm gonna put put my foot down. I love the show we have, and you know, I don't. You know, we're not gonna change it anymore." And you're like, "Oh wow, go Eileen!" So then we cut to the screening, which I think is being filmed in you know the lower level of Grand Central Station. Oh. And that's what it looked like to me anyway. I don't so know, they're, yeah. Yeah, so they're all there in the lobby, all the ensemble kids, uh, waiting for the screening huh. to start. And um, Karen and Ivy are um, at the bar. Uh, well, you know, Car- well, Karen is wait- first waiting for Dev, and of course, Dev does not show. Oh, and Ellis. Mm-hmm. I forgot this to mention this earlier. Ellis um, so had plans.
1: He, he yes, because he, he's you know wants to keep like cozying up to Randall. He heeded the, Eileen's mm-hmm. advice
0: and asked Randall like who, to like
1: go to the screening together.
0: Yeah, and then they have a classic call waiting mix-up because Randall calls Ellis's cell phone and is like, hey. Where are you, guy? And Ellis is still at Eileen's office, and he gets call waiting, and says, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting another call." And he says something along the lines of, "Like, oh, hey, Sin, sorry, I, I, I can't see you tonight. I have to meet with that. What, what does he call him? I, I was trying to remember. He calls him some sort of like that lame guy. Or, yeah, he, he, he really—it's like very insulting.
1: Like, yeah."
0: And the of boring douchebag
1: or something like that. Yeah. You
0: know.
1: yeah. Like something oh, you,
0: I think he says that loser. Oh, that loser assistant. Or, yes. Yeah, He's like, I have to have drinks with that loser assistant. And of course, then Randall says, oh, no, it's still me on the line. And says something about, like, don't bother coming or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, Dev never showed because he's the worst, um, and Karen and Ivy, like, meet in the bathroom because Ivy's left the screening because she doesn't want to see Rebecca's film. That's, mm-hmm. that's she not hates for her. her. Yeah. And she, she, I love it when she's like, Karen, we hate her. She's trying to take our part. She like, stole <laughs> our part. We hate her. I know. And this is this is one of my favorite things, especially rewatching it, like the Karen-Ivy relationship. So Karen and Ivy go to a bar it. together and, like, are really just dishing are really just dishing and it's great because it's not even like that they're becoming friends so i but it's just like there's just this respect there and i i just love them together yeah it's very
1: like there's still like a strong like frenemy energy yeah it's like ivy is like very clear like you know it when once rebecca's gone You know the gloves. Oh, she says
0: like you. You know you'll have to pry that part out of my cold dead hands. Yeah, (laughs) and
1: And I like that. I like the honesty of like we are competitors. Yeah, um, and but we can also like right now we're on the same playing field. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. And I like that like Karen uh kind of, you know, she, she dishes it like she takes it and she dishes it mm-hmm. to Ivy in terms of being like, well, I don't know. You know I have one word for you. Unstable. <laughs> <laughs> Which again makes me think of soap dish. Yes. Um Ivy gives Karen a little jab about Dev. And again, mm-hmm. it's just part of as far as Ivy concerned, that's just part of like the, the fun back and forth they're having. Mm-hmm. But Karen takes it seriously and he's mm-hmm. hurt and upset and yeah Ivy's like well now i feel bad yeah
1: and i can see the difference because you know ivy knows she's not unstable mm-hmm. like she she was in a crisis you yes. know? um she's fine now it was you know so she knows she's not stable so she's like got karen, so it's like karen can tease her about being unstable because it's not true yeah but, you know, for Ivy to tease Karen about there being problems in the relationship, that's actually true. Ivy just doesn't know it. You yeah, know?
0: <laughs> But Ivy didn't know that was true. Yeah. So, I know. But, yes, you know, that's exactly yeah. why Karen's is not her, yes. She's
1: not trying to, like, psych her out. No. You know?
0: Yeah. So then we go to Tom's apartment where they've been waiting and waiting for Rebecca to show up. And she's still not there. And Tom and Julia are kind of talking about... Sam and how did the date with Sam go? Julia's
1: like appreciating that you know all that all, all the things that Sam said on their very first date are things that she's been trying to get through Tom's head for yes. years and years and decades. Yes, yeah. And then Rebecca finally arrives and she sweeps in <laughs> and she's late because she was on a phone call with the because she's on the board of a charter school in Harlem which is just feels very on brand for this woman. It really does. Charter schools are uh predatory and dangerous and we need to stop setting them up in black and latino communities
0: (laughs) (laughs) they are for-profit betsy devos ah yeah so but then rebecca sits down and all of a sudden like you know she she kind of is like look you guys if we're going to work together, you have to be honest with me. And she's like, and basically, like, you know, all of a sudden, like, all of this savvy is revealed that has kind of been hidden from us, you know, throughout mm-hmm. the rest of the episode. I think, first of all, I think we should lower the pitch of all the songs. And mm-hmm. Sam, and not Sam, Tom, Tom, I love that ballad, but I just can't carry it. You know, I just can't carry something like that and whatever. And, you know, cut down on the solos. Yes. and. Um, it's just, I mean, it's funny, like,
1: in some ways, she's been, in some ways, she's kind of like Karen, where she's been she's been doing all the work of putting things into the relationship, and nobody's giving her anything back. Like, nobody's actually, like, producing her or directing her or, you know, mm-hmm. everyone's just,
0: like, yesing her. And that's not helpful.
1: Mm-hmm. It's not
0: helpful. But yes, a lot of her suggestions are very, very to the point and very practical and everyone's yeah. like oh oh maybe this will work after all yeah yeah and then um oh so this this is where we cut back to karen and ivy at the bar which we've already talked about yeah yeah and oh i I do love uh what ivy calls to karen you know she says you, you know as she's leaving she's like you need to get a thicker skin iowa yeah and i love that it, Ivy is using, you know, the Ensemble Kids yes. nickname for Karen. Oh, because this is Ivy. Fine. She's really accepted Karen at this point. Yeah, there's Karen's a difference part of the gang.
1: between Ivy, the lead, and Ivy, the member of the Ensemble. Yeah, and she's fine with
0: being in the Ensemble. She's fine being back in the Ensemble because she has a scheme. She's going to get her. She's going to get back out of that Ensemble too. Yeah. She's got a plan. Yeah. So then we cut to Julia's house where she and Frank are having the talking to with Leo. Uh, I feel like he's more convincingly a teenager here until,
1: like, that last line about meeting Rebecca Duvall.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like... But it's so weird how they write him. Like, is yeah. he 18 or 7? Who can say? Who can say? Yeah. But um, So once again, Frank is just kind of a, a, an ass in this scene, and mm-hmm. Julia is the calm and voice of reason. They kind of resolve things mm-hmm. for the moment, so that's good. So Karen goes home to her apartment, and it's empty. <gasps> Dev isn't there. And then uh, we we cut to a fancy bar, <gasps> and we see Dev having drinks and laughing with RJ. Mm. Ugh! And then we cut to a fancy restaurant where Eileen has met Nick for a late drink for their non date. Mm-hmm. You know, she, and Eileen basically says something along the lines of, "You know, I've." She starts to, She says something about like, "You know, I've." I, what does she say? But basically, you know, she's like, I've heard some things about you, Mm -hmm. and this is great, because Nick is like, oh, do you mean my connections with the Rajoni family? Sure, I'll tell you all about those. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, anything else I've done, and if if you run a bar in New York, yeah, you're going to work with the mob. So, yeah, sure, I'll tell you anything. And he's very open and he's very chill about it all. all. And um, Eileen gets, like, super vulnerable and, Mm -hmm. like, makes me want to cry. And She says something along the lines of like, you know, I've had I've had a lot of bad men in my life Mm -hmm. or something like that. And she's like, I I can't, you know, have one more. And they they end with a kiss, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it's very sweet and exciting. Nick
1: also has an amazing sexy line here. He says, we can take this as slow as you want you're the one who's always rushing around. (laughs) And it's very good. And it's like, I felt that was an echo of Sam's, my way is
0: better. I know. Yes. Yeah. That was good. Um, So then now it's the next day Mm -hmm. or a day or two later, who knows, but we're back in the rehearsal room. Um, Ellis tries to grab Randall as he's coming in the door, um, to, to try to apologize, but Randall does not want to hear any of it. And then we proceed. Oh, oof. Oof. Oof Oofty. We proceed into our big musical number of the week, which, as you can tell, Tina and I are so excited about. So once again, we are in the actor's studio We have this, you know, this actor in the rehearsal playing Lee Strasberg and being very sort of arrogant and aggressive. Mm -hmm. Then we jump into this number instead of the ballad that we were, you know, building up to Mm -hmm. last time we worked on this scene. We jump into this number called Dig Deep. It's the, the song is... All right, I have, I have so many thoughts about this. I'm trying to organize them. So the first line of the song is, like, all of the chorus singing, uh, Use your pain, never try to entertain. <laughs> um, and so basically, you know, the song is all about kind of mocking method acting. Yeah,
1: a couple of digs at Marlon Brando. and Yes.
0: Oh, and Bobby gets to do a great James Dean, so... That's kind of fun. And the dancing is fabulous. The dancing's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And, like, they're all in these tremendous costumes, like, when we get to the fantasy version, which Mm -hmm. is immediately. Um, And also, we've got, there's pole dancing, there's men on poles. Mm -hmm. It's... So, but... there And And Uma uh, Thurman does sell it. And actually, like, I
1: was very focused on her. She is... Both Uma Thurman and the movie star character she's playing are, like, charismatic and you your eye is very much drawn to her.
0: Yes. And her dancing is basically walking, yeah. which I guess considering that, you know, her body's all messed up makes yeah. a lot of sense. And she's also not a dancer, yes. you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um
1: in and, real life or this character, you yes. know? Like so yes. I I just thought Uma Thurman really sold it and I found it believable that um Rebecca Duval could
0: do that level do of singing and dancing. This. And yes. she could
1: m- she could get through a Broadway musical where at least this is no longer a crisis situation. Like not that it's going to be, it's going to get bad reviews. Yes. Have
0: I, have I talked about seeing guys and dolls with Ewan McGregor? No. Oh, okay. Well, there's some parallel there. So, I saw I was in it was this week I was in London. And I saw tons of theater and it was uh-huh. great, but one of the things I saw was this production of Guys and Dolls and Jane Krakowski was um oh my god, I forget the character's name, but you know, yeah. the one a person but, can develop yeah. a cult. Mm-hmm. Um she was that character and was Delightful. I mm-hmm. think she won the their Tony, mm-hmm. which is the uh, um, the Olivier. Olivier. I think she won the Olivier for it. And Ewan Mcgregor played Sky Masterson, and he was he was he, he was charming and charismatic mm-hmm. because he's Ewan Mcgregor. Yeah. And singing wise, he was decent. Yeah. I mean, you know, I kind of everyone else. Around him was certainly like at a, you know, mm-hmm. performing at a higher level singing, but he was good. He was fine. And, but I do just remember they were doing like the Luck Be a Lady number, like mm-hmm. in the sewers. And <laughs> it, they just kind of placed him like downstage center, right in front of the floor <laughs> mic. And then had like the chorus do all this incredibly gymnastic dancing all around him. And then like he never moved once. <laughs> or maybe he moved once, but you know, and I just remember, enjoying it and at the same time, you know, having a little laugh mm-hmm. at, you know, how they had solved the problem of having the music, the, the, the movie star who couldn't sing and dance that much at the same time. Oh. <laughs> but it was a fabulous production. It really was. So, yes. so So, yes, you could start to see a path here for mm-hmm. how they could build a show with Rebecca mm-hmm. as the center of it. But... I hate this song. Mm -hmm. I think it's instantly forgettable along the lines of that wolf howling song. Yeah, it's not a good song. And also, it's like the whole message of the episode and the song are, like, diametrically opposed to each other. In terms of the whole time, Rebecca has been saying, like, I want the show to, like, you know... Kind of dig deeper into Marilyn's psyche. I want the show to like you know have whatever more emotion, more depth, more et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And then their response to that is to create this number that is so superficial, yeah, and mocking, yeah. And and when the number is over, everyone's kind of like, yeah. Well, Derek looks pretty miserable, but it—it's it, just like it's like the people writing the script and the people writing the songs like missed a meeting with each other. Yeah, and we had this kind of uh, uncomfortable sandwich uh, of like peanut butter and pickles. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, it—it's not good. It did remind me of. Have you seen White Christmas a thousand times, like I have? Oh, is that the one with? Bing, Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye and Rosemary Clooney and Vera
1: Ellen. You know, I haven't watched it a million times. It's like one of those things I saw like once as a kid, mm-hmm. and and yeah, you know, I can picture like the the poster that's on the front cover of the VHS.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. So I have watched it a million times, okay. but uh, so they do one of the great things that movie musicals mm-hmm. often do, where you know, where they're rehearsing a show like, in the movie, Mm -hmm. so they can have numbers without having to have, like, any rationale or story Mm -hmm. for, like, why the number is there. Mm -hmm. So one of the numbers they have that's like that is called choreography. (laughs) And um, it's Danny Kay. It's kind of, like, making fun of, like, Martha Graham and all that kind of uh, modern dancing Mm -hmm. of the era. And so, like, Danny Kay is, like, in, like, you know, this little beatnik outfit with a beret and... um, all the lyrics are about like, you know, you know, chicks who did kicks. They're not kicking anymore. Mm-hmm. They're doing choreography. Mm-hmm. Um, so it starts with like these girls in like these gray dresses mm-hmm. and these really severe ponytails and no makeup and doing the- these very angular movements. And then some, you know, from the heavens mm-hmm. descends like Vera Ellen or one of the other dancers in like this pink satin outfit and like pink tights and like satin tap shoes and tapping and they're all like. Ooh, what is this? And I just remember as a kid, like you know, so the number is clearly like saying, like, oh, that that mm-hmm. over there, that's pretentious crap. But as a kid, I was just like, I like both kinds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you
1: know? Like it's like in um uh, slings and arrows where what is it in the third. I think the
0: third season is where they do the musical.
1: Yeah, and and there's like this whole thing about like musicals aren't real acting and like it's like but I like musicals. Like, I like musicals too. <laughs>
0: um and the staging of the dig deep number which once again I did not like um it did remind. Well, I liked the choreography for the most part, but uh, it also reminded me of the Bohemian number in Funny Face, which I rewatched really oh, last yeah. night because I went on the, like a deep dive with this. But and you should just you should watch that because you can find it on YouTube with, like a two minute version of it, and because it's just like Audrey Hepburn and like these two male dancers <laughs> just doing their like Bohemian Beatnik thing, and she you can tell how much fun she's having. Yeah, it's. It's a delight. So she so, played she played Gigi watched, like yes. when she was
1: before she came to the US, right? Like in the movie you mean or like on stage? No, no, no. Leslie Caron played her in the movie. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um but yeah, I think she did play Gigi on stage like, at some On the point. West
1: End or something like that. Like yeah. I feel like she did it before she was like American movie star Audrey Hepburn. That Sounds – that sounds – Because, I mean, you're supposed to be very young to play Shishi.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, that that tracks for me. That sounds about right. Yeah. And this is nice because you can watch this clip from Funny Face and not be distracted by, you know, Audrey Hepburn and Fred Astaire, like, having to be a romantic couple in it. uh, So – Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Oh, good times. Yeah. So – I do like there's a callback to um, 20th Century Fox yes. Mambo yes. in in the number that we don't like. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're, we're trying. We're trying to find redeeming
0: qualities yeah. to it. Yeah. So I liked everything except the song and the words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the fact that it doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, I just wish they weren't denigrating something that was a major thing in Marilyn's life.
0: Because, again, like... And this number really makes me think we they're building a camel in terms of, like, are we doing this breezy, like, you know, pastiche show, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of, like, hitting the high notes of, like, actor studio, ha, 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 you know, um, or are we doing this show that is really emotional and about her, like, life's yeah. journey, et cetera? And if we're doing the second, this number does not necessarily fit in that show.
1: Yeah, because yeah, Marilyn took herself seriously. Mm-hmm. She was smart and she studied and she just other people didn't take her seriously. You know, like so she you know, she really She
0: wanted to be the best actor she could be. May I? May I make an observation? Yes. I think this musical number is the makers of this show not taking the show or the audience seriously. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and I'm not saying like every number in the show has to be a dirge. The baseball number from the pilot was a delight. Yeah, but the Zanuck number. Oh I love. Love. oh, I love the Zanuck number. Yeah. We know, yes. And like,
1: it's It's not like every moment of Marilyn's life was horrible. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I just really love her and respect Marilyn Monroe's work. And I, I mean, you can do like a fun, like, here's the biography of Marilyn Monroe. Like, the you can do like the breezy version within a tragic end, you know. But are like, if they're really... Like what is this musical about? <laughs> I've lost sight of that. Yes. I've lost sight of what Bombshell is is telling the story of. Oh wait, this is is this still the
0: Untitled Marilyn? No, no, music? it's Has Bombshell. She said it? Okay, yes, her life blew apart. You know, yeah, Michael came into her life like a bombshell. Yes, etc. Yes, so yeah, so this so this episode really na- lands on a false note mm-hmm. in many ways. I wish, like, if we had seen kind of more because. You know, we have Eileen saying, now that's a movie star. And it'd be great if, you know, I I can see Eileen saying that because of, like, yes, we, you know, we want to say something positive to our movie star at this point in time. But, like, I wish I had seen more doubt or mixed feelings amongst the group. And you see, Derek looks miserable, but that's about it. I think we're supposed to think this number is a good thing. And if that's the case, then... Mm, I am not on the same page as this as this show yeah yeah I think we're supposed to you know have watched this number and been like wow yeah Rebecca really can play Marilyn and this number doesn't do that yeah and, and, th- I, and I think the problem isn't
1: Rebecca Duval; it's no. the number <laughs> it's the number the number is the problem because mm-hmm. there's I mean I It would have been. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I would have liked to see her come back and do "Let Me Be Your Star," but she's doing it with the lower key, and maybe the shadows are supporting some of the
0: yeah. more challenging
1: notes. Yeah. But we're seeing what a movie, like what a movie star who doesn't sing and dance would do. How she could wreck Harrison this.
0: the heck out of yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I was, you know, I, on the way here, I was listening to. Uh, all of Natasha Richardson's songs from Cabaret. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and so I was, cause I just wanted to contrast like Uma Thurman sort of playing an over the top version of like a movie star being inserted mm-hmm. into a Broadway show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Natasha Richardson is so good. And I, I was trying to figure out sort of like what she was doing, like with her mouth placements to sort of deliver that performance without it being this like, but without being Liza (laughs) Mm -hmm. and yeah, it would be nice. It would have been, I think it would have been nice to have seen, uh, let me be your star.
0: Or that ballad, you know, would, well, I guess she said she can't carry them. Well, let me ask this. This was another theory I was thinking about, like, you know, kind of right before we started. So, Rebecca kept rejecting kind of or rejecting singing um, Mm -hmm. throughout the episode after the first song and saying, you know, and saying the reason was because she wanted she wanted to explore more about Marilyn's depth or Marilyn's psyche or Mm -hmm. Marilyn's whatever. And is are we supposed to think now that that was just an excuse she was making the whole time? that's a really good question. And that really she just knew she couldn't sing a ballad yeah. and put it over. And so that's why she's kept hesitating. I and mean,
1: another choice they could have gone with is that they went is seeing what the actual longer scene would have looked like. It would have been nice, perhaps, to see a moment of
0: Rebecca Duval being a really terrific actress. That might have been nice, you know. You know because I bet Uma Thurman could have done that. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, but alas, we got what we got. Um so, let's uh, let's let's give out some awards. Yeah. All right. So, first, we have least problematic man of the week. Nick. <gasps> Nick, you're right. Nick is by far the least problematic man of the week. He is great, and Tom and Sam are also very unproblematic and fun this week. Oh, Tom, I mean, Tom's terrible. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, Tom Sam. is terrible, but he's having he's having a really good week for Tom. Sam is Sam is also.
1: Not problematic at yes, all.
0: Yes, but Nick really sets the bar really high with that. We'll take things as slow as you want, and yeah, I'm an open book. I'll tell you anything you want to know about me. So it it goes to Nick, but yeah. with a strong showing by Sam. Yeah, and
1: I just Tom, want to acknowledge that. Yeah. Sam did nothing wrong. You yeah. know,
0: and and, Tom and Sam really had to. Is-
1: and Sam, in fact, had to like really stand up for himself. Sam had to say no, and mm-hmm. you know. <laughs>
0: Oh, he got to say no in such a sexy way, too. Yeah. Um, but Tom is, Tom is really growing, and that's nice. Yeah. And- so. Okay. So now, what about under five of the week? For me, it was clear that it was the guidance counselor. Oh, yes. Just ignore the chorus of dogs barking in the background. There's two now. There's two. Oh, they're so cute. They're so sweet. <laughs> yes. So, Yes. Betsy Aiden, Leo's guidance counselor. Yes, she is under five of the week. My, I will. Ha- I have two honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. One is Henry Stram, who plays the actor playing Lee Strasberg. He's very good, and he really nails that arrogant, abusive acting yeah. acting teacher thing. But he cannot win it because he comes back in uh, future episodes. And then another honorable mention to uh, the silent reactions of the bass player and the drummer. <laughs> um the first time rebecca
1: sings
0: <laughs> yeah they yeah. were
1: the i the, <laughs> yes the musicians i noted yes those they great did some reactions. great
0: face acting there um so congratulations betsy Adam, leo's guidance counselor who got a whole lot more than she bargained for yeah. when she asked what's going on at home <laughs> i think we smashed it i think we smashed it Oh, Twitter. Oh yes. Oh, you can uh you can follow us
1: at talkin' smash. Remember there's no G in talkin'. You can follow me
0: at Nice White Lady. There are underscores after nice and white. And you can follow me at Yellow nineteen with an underscore between Yellow and Fairy. Goodbye.